everybody. Uh, welcome to the Off The Record podcast. My name is Erin and welcome to the second episode. I'm really excited for today. We're going to be tackling Nirvana's Greatest Hits album. In general, I'm not super crazy about Greatest Hits albums, but I do have some exceptions like this one. I don't know if somebody like gifted this to me or if I got this. I genuinely do not remember, but um, if I would get it now, I would probably get Nevermind, but you know, half the songs on Nevermind are on this vinyl. So yeah, Nirvana's Greatest Hits album, it came out in 2002. Kurt Cobain passed away in 1994, so that's about eight years afterwards. Came out on DGC Records, um, and this is technically their fifth studio album. They've only, or fifth album that they put out. They put out other, they put out other live albums and whatnot, and they've only had real really three studio albums, which is crazy. I mean, this was such a short-lived band. The band members were, of course, Kurt Cobain. He was the lead singer and guitarist. Chris Novoselic, the bassist, and of course, Dave Grohl, the drummer. Nirvana is probably the biggest grunge band um, that blew up in the 90s, and that's what they are known for. Um, and since this is a compilation album, I'll be talking about the band's history overall. Um, so like I said earlier, Cobain passed away in 1994, and they put up this album eight years later. Apparently, the first song, You Know You're Right, was unreleased before this album, and Dave and Chris wanted it to be on, I don't know if it was this album or something else, I believe there was something like a box set that they wanted to be put on, and then Courtney Love, who was Kurt's wife before he passed away, she wanted it to be on a Greatest Hits album. She sued them to gain control over Nirvana's legacy, basically, and, you know, eventually was settled, and she won, and... I think a lot of people who are Nirvana fans are not fans of Courtney Love. Um, I think she's a very polarizing figure. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of her just because I've just like seen how she acts and whatnot. But, you know, especially with this whole lawsuit thing, like I understand like that's your husband, but also you are not in the band. So I don't know. I think it, I think it's a sticky situation. But if you're a normal Nirvana fan, you're probably thinking like she's pretty much like the grunge ver- version of Yoko Ono, um, who was John Lennon's wife in the Beatles. So that is what it is. But you know, it just be like that sometimes. I don't know what else to say. But so back in high school, of course, I knew Nirvana and I knew Smells Like Teen Spirit and maybe another song here and there. But I, when I was 14, I started taking drumming lessons, and my teacher at the time suggested I should learn how to play In Bloom by Nirvana, and after I learned that, um, made me really appreciate that song, and also I went ahead and listened to the rest of their songs and just fell in love with them. I can still play that song to this day, and it's one of my favorite songs I've ever played, and I think it was one of the first, maybe like the third or fourth song I learned how to play on the drum, so it holds a really special place in my heart. There was also this, now that I remember, there's this college art project that I did and it was pretty much like a flip book of me playing the drums and I'm playing the fill that comes at the end of the chorus, um, which is pretty cool. I'll have to find that somewhere because I haven't seen that in years. It just like randomly popped in my mind, but on the back of it, I wrote, he knows not what he means or something. I think I wrote like some in bloom lyric alluding to that. That's the song I'm playing, but I basically like filmed myself doing that and then drew over every single frame. I was really into animation at the time, so I wanted to do and I think like the task was to like create like a book. It was so such a random assignment, but that's pretty much how my love for the band grew. That really stuck with me learning how to play that song and learning about Dave Grohl's drumming. It's just so loud and powerful and it's just so cool. 
And of course, I have the vinyl here right in front of me. On the front, it's just a black cover with Nirvana's logo in white. If you flip it on the back, it's a photo of Kirk's guitar and Kirk, <laughs> like from Metallica, Kurt. I get those two names mixed up all the time. Um, and you can see actually he has his wedding band on. I just noticed that, um, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and everything is black and white. And then you can see the side one and side two, the track list, which we'll, we will get to that eventually. If you take it out, it's just standard black. So if you take out the slip, um, there's no lyrics on it, which I was really surprised by. But pretty much there's just some photos of the band in black and white. And there's this really, really long, kind of like short essay on the band and Kurt Cobain by David Frick. Frick? I don't know how you pronounce his name, but he's a very famous music journalist. If you look up his photo, you'll probably recognize him. It is very long, but I'll be reading some excerpts, so here is some of the words that he had to say. On Sunday, January 30th, 1994, Kurt Cobain walked into Robert Lang's studios in northern Seattle and recorded the first song on this album. It would be Kurt's final session with Nirvana, and he made a count. He was also late. Chris and Dave had been at Lang's for two days waiting for Kurt, using the time to fill tape with some of Dave's songs. But when Kurt finally rolled up on the third day with no particular explanation, the real work was done in minutes. To Kurt, music was shelter because he never enjoyed or truly knew any other kind as a child, raised in a broken home, an isolated, uprooted teenager. Kurt recognized the power of myth, of a juicy twisted truth, he long claimed that he lived for a time under that bridge in the first line of Something in the Way on Nevermind. The amazing thing about these songs and the recordings is the force of subversive detail, especially on Nevermind. The title crash on Dave's Tom Tom Roll at the front of Smells Like Teen Spirit, the literal sound of a revolution at birth. Chris's wavy bass intro to Come As You Are and the way Kurt reconfigures the word memory with a long Spanish sigh at the end, as if it hypnotized by need. It's easy to remember him being sad, Dave told me last year. But the thing that I like to think about are his happiness and how much he loved music, whether it was sitting in the living room and playing an acoustic guitar or playing off at the off-ramp in Seattle. He really, really loved music. This is the world Kurt built for himself, when the real world was not enough. Listen again if you think you know it. Listen loud if you don't know yet. Then build your own. Yeah, so that was just a little excerpt. It is very long, so I only read the front and the last part. Um, but it is a very beautiful piece. It is very introspective on, you know, how they actually changed music at the time and how it was just so powerful. And it's a really good read. Um, I'm sure you can find it online somewhere. All right, so we're going to get into the tracks. So the track listing goes, You Know You're Right, About a Girl, Been a Son, Sliver, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Come As You Are, Lithium, In Bloom, Heart Shaped Box, Penny Royalty, Rape Me, Dumb, All Apologies, which is a live acoustic, and The Man Who Sold the World, which is a live acoustic cover of a David Bowie song. All right, so let's just go ahead and get right into it. So the first song is You Know You're Right, and this was the last song Kurt Cobain ever wrote, and he wrote it by himself. Most of these songs he wrote by himself, which I was pretty surprised by. I didn't I obviously I knew he, you know, he led the band, but I didn't realize he was the only writer on most of these songs. With that song, like I said earlier, there was that lawsuit and it was unreleased until this album came out. So 
I'm sure at the time, you know, it was pretty much like a treat for Nirvana fans to hear, you know, something that he had recorded months before he had passed away. And, you know, if you don't know, Kurt Cobain passed away at 27. There's this whole really weird lore on musicians that pass away at 27, you know, like Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, um, Amy Winehouse, Janet Jackson, Kurt Cobain, like the list goes on and it's really spooky. Um, but there's just like a whole weird like mythology that goes around that. Um, like the 20, I think it's, I believe it's called the 27 Club. All those artists had died of either, you know, drug abuse, alcoholism, things like that. So, you know, and he died of suicide. And so a lot of, I will be getting into not too deep into that topic, but you know, there is some um, suicidal ideation in his songs, so just a fair warning if you're not interested in hearing that right now. You know you're right. So it's actually a very bold song to start the whole um, compilation off with. Obviously, you know if it's a new song, then you're gonna put it in the front. But the lyrical content is it's very dark. It's probably one of the darkest songs that he has. Some lyrics include, "I will never bother you." never speak a word again, I will crawl away for good, you know, kind of him alluding to wanting to leave, and he pretty much is singing this song to um, Courtney Love, who he was married to at the time, like I said earlier. He says things like, nothing really bothers her, she just wants to love herself, I'll move away from here, you won't be afraid of fear, no thought was put into this, I always knew to come like this, things have never been so swell, I have never failed to fail. So a lot of deep meanings to this, talking a lot about depression, suicidal ideation, and you know, this being his last song is very ominous and it's very telling, Um, and I feel like this is kind of a theme for these types of artists that write these types of songs, you know, like it kind of happened with um, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, a lot of his songs were um, very depressive and he felt like he needed to leave this world type of thing. And so I think those two are very similar. And obviously, like, Chris Cornell only passed away a couple of years ago. It's almost been 30 years since Kurt Cobain has been here. So it is really kind of looking through it in that lens. This song kind of has a really eeriness to it. Um, and like I said earlier, it's about him being married to Courtney, but in a negative way and I guess it's kind of like him saying goodbye to her in a way or kind of like warning her. I'm not entirely sure. There's a YouTube video of her um, singing the song. It is not a good cover. She did glaze over maybe half the lyrics, which I understand why, because I'm sure it's weird for her to sing those things like, oh, I'm going to leave you type of thing. And But it's not like leaving just to like break up. Again, I don't want to get too into it just because it is a very heavy topic, but Cobain has a really rough voice and he does this like sing, yelling type of thing in every song and this one definitely stuck out to me the most. Like he, you can kind of hear the pain in his voice, which is really interesting. All right, so next song is about a girl and this is written just by Kurt. Um, and this song is from the album Bleach. As I go through all of these songs, I'll tell you what album these are from. Again, they only had three albums, so it's not like that's a lot, but you know, just to signify what era they were in. So initially, the song did not have a title. Um, I did not know this, but Dave Grohl was not the original drummer of Nirvana. It was Chad Channing. But at the time, he had asked Cobain what the song is about, and he just replied with, it's about a girl. So that's pretty much how um, he got the name. He's such an interesting character, um, Kurt Cobain. Like, he just seems, like, so, like, quirky and, like, very himself, and I really like that about him. 
And we'll get more into why I liked him a lot as a person um, as we go through these tracks. But pretty much the song is about a dysfunctional relationship. It's not about Courtney Love. This is about an ex-girlfriend that he had before her. Some lyrics include, I need an easy friend. I do with an ear to lend. And then if you go on, it says, I'll take advantage while you hang me out to dry. So him admitting to taking advantage of her, you know, that is not a good thing and there's obviously some tension between these two people it is a very catchy song and what's interesting about nirvana is that they were so against the mainstream and yet they have these really catchy songs that are easy to sing along to i find that to be really interesting and they were the biggest grunge band and they really brought that to the mainstream and you can hear that in these songs because they're not you can sing along to them. I mean, that's pretty much what a pop song is. Is that something that it, it's catchy, it has a hook, it, you can get stuck in your head. So that kind of contrast between like the really roughness of his voice and like the big drums and the these like crazy power chords, it's really cool. And that's why they are who they are. <laughs> All right, so next song is Been a Son. And this was written by Cobain, of course. And this is from their EP Blue. Um, so this song is pretty much about sexism against women. I do have a quote from Kurt Cobain that I found on Genius.com. And he says, I am definitely a feminist. I'm disgusted by the way women are still treated. It's 1993 and some people still think we're in the 1950s. Wow, isn't that crazy how, you know, he said that literally 30 years ago and it's still relevant? Anyway, he says, we need to make more progress there needs to be more female musicians, more female artists, more female writers. Everything is dominated by men, and I'm sick of it. This is one of the reasons why I love Kurt Cobain, just because he was such a... He was so pro-woman, and this is before I was born, so I don't really know how it used to be, and obviously it, it used to be so much worse um, back then, but I think in the 90s, it, there was still a lot of tension and stuff, and him being so hourly pro-woman, and you know, also coming from like a grunge scene. I mean, I don't really think you got... Um, that a lot from like these rock star guys who you know some of them were probably like misogynistic and I think that's also why he hated the mainstream because the mainstream was you know these like macho guys and all that stuff and I really did like that he embraced feminism but pretty much in the verses he sings she should have stayed away from friends she should have had more time to spend she should have died when she was born she should have worn the crown of thorns and the chorus goes, she should have been a son. And he repeats this. Um, and this is where we find out, you know, if you're like, let's say you're a first time listener to Nirvana and you're listening to this album and you're noticing that Cobain, he repeats a lot in his songs. And that's a little, it's a big part of his songwriting. And, you know, you can either take it or leave it. I think the repetition works. It's very punk and his emotions come out a lot more and it's very angsty. And that's pretty much what the whole grunge um, music scene was, was just like, just like screaming into a mic. And he does that very effectively. And it's not annoying, at least not, not in this song, <laughs> which I'm getting ahead of myself, but there is one song where, which is next, which is a little, um, it's interesting. So, but yes, it's pretty much, you know, she should have died when she was born. Like, I also think in the nineties, I mean, I think I'm trying to think like culturally and like historically, I think China probably still had like the one kid policy and, they wanted, you know, and I'm just talking about other cultures where they wanted a son. They wanted a son so badly. I mean, with like King Henry, and all like the royal families, they wanted a son. And 
it's crazy how it still applies to this day. Not as intensely, but still, it's it's there. And I think she should have worn the crown of thorns. I think that is probably like religious reference that I don't completely understand. That's not something I know personally, but um, again, kind of like very male dominated. Oh, like she should have stayed away from these people. She should have done this. She should have, like the expectations of women and all that stuff. And it's just it's a cool song. All right, so the next song is Sliver and is written by Cobain and Chris. So this was released as a single. It doesn't belong to any particular album. It is probably my least favorite song of their catalog. Like I said earlier, repetition is very big in Cobain's writing, but this one is just... I don't know how many times he says, Grandma, take me home, but like it's just a little excessive. And I understand, you know, um, as we get into the meaning of this song, pretty much like it is the perspective of a little boy, and let's say it is Kurt, but his parents go out, for the night and he gets dropped up at his grandparents house and he's just having the worst time like this song is very whiny but it is from a child's perspective so in that way it is effective but the whole chorus is just him saying grandma take me home over and over and over again and then eventually he says want to be alone and in the verses he's just talking about how oh my parents left me here i don't want to be here right now he talked about the food he ate and when he fell asleep all that you know basic childhood stuff. In the excerpt that I read earlier, a part of it talks about Kurt's childhood and how it was really um, isolating and very stressful and just not well. So that's probably him reflecting on that time period of his and kind of dealing with those childhood traumas. All right, so next song is the big one. It is Smells Like Teen Spirit. And this was written by everybody in the band. And this is their biggest song. And it pretty much kicked off grunge in the mainstream. And this song is from their album, Nevermind. I love hearing this story. I've heard it a couple times, but pretty much the where they got the name was a deodorant brand called Teen Spirit. And I think I remember seeing that as a kid um, in the stores and basically like Kurt and his friend, or I think it might have been his ex-girlfriend, I'm not entirely sure, but they saw it and they thought it was just funny. And then the girl had written Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit on the wall that they, I guess they were staying at. And, and it just stuck with him. And that's pretty much how they created the name of the song because a lot of people are like what does that even mean and this fun little story is just it just cracks me up every time there's a lot of debate about whether this song means anything at all chris said that this is about kurt's rebellion against the mainstream and dave said that lyrics don't mean anything at all and he seen kurt write them out before singing them minutes before i think it could be a mix um and that's what makes kurt such an interesting songwriter and lyricist because sometimes his words don't mean anything and sometimes they mean everything and that's like the beauty and true essence of nirvana and their whole music is just leaving everything up into interpretation not having like a straightforward answer but some ideas that circle around this song are you know teen revolution or cobain making fun of people who want a revolution and there's a lot of contrasting ideas in the whole song you know, he says, load up your guns, bring your friends, it's easier to lose than to pretend. She's overboard and self-assured. I know, I know, a dirty word. Hello, hello, hello. I mean, even like little things like hello, hello, how low. Like, he just, he has such a fun wordplay and it's really cool and it keeps you on your toes, which is cool. With the lights out, it's less dangerous. Here we are now, entertain us. Apparently that here we are now, entertain us line is something that, Kurt would say whenever they got invited to a party and it was kind of like a joke where it's like okay we're here entertain us and the whole I feel stupid and contagious 
that lyric could be, you know, it could be all the messages that were being fed by the media and the news, how everything is just so chaotic and everything's mind-numbing. And I'm sure in the 90s, you know, I don't know everything that was going on at this period of time, but I'm sure it was chaotic. I have heard that the early 90s were just kind of a little insane. So that's probably what he's alluding to. And, you know, it's so funny because he mumbles a lot um, when he sings. So half the time, you don't really know what he's saying. And then when you look up the lyrics, you're like, okay, now I hear what he's saying. So this second verse, um, I had no idea he said this, but he says, I'm worse at what I do best. And for this gift, I feel blessed. Our little group has always been and always will until the end. So pretty much he's just talking about the band um at i'm worst at what i do best he's probably just comparing himself to the other musicians that are out there but he still feels grateful for nirvana and you can really tell that like he loves the band and and just loves music and of course at the end he just is screaming a denial a denial over and over again and that could be him saying that he's denying the mainstream or denying like a teen revolution etc i've also seen a theory where you know he might feel like a teen still when he's in his 20s or maybe like kind of pushing the boundaries of what an adult should look like type of thing so that could also be um something that is a theme in this song i mean again the song is open to interpretation it could mean everything it could mean nothing that's what's cool about it you can just we could just talk about it and we could just theorize what he was talking about so it's cool all right next song is come as you are and this was written by cobain of course and from the album nevermind this is one of my favorite songs personally it is also one of those songs where it's like pretty ominous to listen to where he says lyrics like i and i swear i don't have a gun no i don't have a gun and he shot himself unfortunately so that i don't know where that comes from again this is another song where the lyrics are very contradictory as a friend as an old enemy take your time hurry up choice is yours don't be late and i think that could be another song where it's open to interpretation he repeats the word memoria a lot which is memory in latin but also the um the root word maria um is the inability to be serious so that's kind of alluding to his depression so maybe come as you are, as you were, could mean just kind of like, I'm accepting you for just who you are. Um, that's just my personal interpretation. It could mean anything, of course, because it is Kurt. Um, apparently, Kurt was worried about putting out the song because the opening riff sounds like um, a song called 80s by Killing Joke. I've never heard of them before, but... I'll go ahead and put a little clip right here of Nirvana song first and then the 80s song. Yep, so that was the two songs. Uh I'm going to be honest, it sounds similar. Um the person that was um the killing joke guy i don't know what to call him i didn't look up his name but but there's no lawsuit or anything against this song but um he just had complaints about it and that's pretty much as far as he went but that's a little fun fact about this song all right next song it is lithium and written by cobain on the album nevermind 
Some lyrics include, I'm so happy because today I found my friends, they're in my head. That's one of my favorite lines. I don't know why, just like it really sticks out to me, but this song is about depression, being up and down. You know, I never understood why this song was called lithium, but I looked this up and apparently lithium is like the substance or like the active drug that treats depressive disorders. Um, so that's pretty much just another example of him alluding to his depression. And then the end chorus, it kind of sounds like not words of affirmation, but maybe maybe he's just trying to convince himself that he's okay. Some lyrics include, I like it, I'm not gonna crack. I miss you, I'm not gonna crack. I love you, I'm not gonna crack. I killed you, I'm not gonna crack. So saying something like, I'm not gonna crack. Again, all these songs are so weird to listen to, you know, 30 years after his death because they do allude to him struggling and stuff. And I think that's why it speaks to so many people because we are human and feel all these feelings. Um, but it is it is so weird. Like him saying like, oh, I'm gonna leave. I don't have a gun. I'm fine. I'm, I'm not gonna crack. Like, <sighs> yeah, it just makes me sad. But, you know, sometimes it is hard to listen to it um, if you are like a Nirvana fan. It just is what it is. We just have to appreciate every day that we have that's all i can really say at this point all right so next song is in bloom written by cobain from the album nevermind i be- i think they put all the songs from nevermind just like back to back to back which i don't blame them it's just funny but um like i said earlier i learned how to play this on the drums and it's just such a fun song to play but pretty much this song pokes fun at the people who were kind of outside of the underground music scene that started showing up at their shows so kind of I don't want to say like regular people, but just like people that are not really in their initial demographic. And it's only something I noticed when I first listened to it. Some lyrics include, he's the one who likes all our pretty songs, and he likes to sing along, and he likes to shoot his gun, but he knows not what it means, knows not what it means. That's pretty much Cobain just saying like, there's these people that just are singing our songs and they don't know what they're me- what it means at all. Um, and the whole shoot his gun thing, there's a little quote that quote from him that says like, I hate rednecks, I hate macho men type of thing. So, and I think you can kind of get that sense from songs like, um, been a son and, um, also rape me as well, which we'll talk about later. Again, it's so interesting to actually read his lyrics on paper and interpret them in that way. And read about what other people have said because the unique thing about him is that his voice is so raspy and he mumbles a lot in these songs and if you're a casual listener um or like somebody who's like kind of mainstream quote unquote you're not going to listen to what he's really saying you're not going to catch half the things that he's talking about but if you're a true fan you're going to dive deep into the lyrics and try to grasp onto every word and try to understand what he's talking about and have your own interpretations and that's what we're doing today and i think that's on purpose um I think that's why he was such a genius, because I, I don't think he was a surface-level type of person at all. Again, I don't know, but it is really evident in these lyrics, and I just I just love his writing so much. And another lyric he says is, tender age in bloom, and then it goes back to that chorus again. So, yeah, I just love this man, and I love this band, and they're just so good. All right, so the next song is Heart Shaped Box, written by... Just Cobain. <laughs> so this song is from the album In Utero, and the next few songs will be from that same album. So it starts off, he says, She eyes me like a Pisces when I am weak. I've been locked inside your heart-shaped box for weeks. He also says, um, I wish I could eat your cancer when you turn black. Kurt is a Pisces, and Courtney Love um, 
is a cancer. So that could be a reference to both of them. Um, I think this was written, obviously, when they were married or maybe when they were just dating. When I look this up, um, when he says, when you turn black, it could be a drug reference. So that could be a possibility of um, some drug abuse going on with either person. One lyric that really does stick out to me in the song is, throw down your umbilical noose so I can climb right back. So he pretty much just doesn't want to be born. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a really um, intriguing lyric. And again, just he has such creative lyrics and they really do stick out because they're just not, I just would not have th- thought of that personally. But um, this entire song could be about a relationship in general, maybe a relationship that's one-sided, how they make each other feel. Obviously, they are complaining to each other. I got a new complaint. I'm forever in debt for your priceless advice is apparently a line that Kurt used in one of his arguments with Courtney. And that, you know, the heart-shaped box itself could just mean that he feels maybe trapped in the relationship and um, being locked inside that for weeks. It could just be a toxic relationship, which it definitely sounds like they had that. Um, I don't know too much detail into their relationship but you know if if they're arguing and you know um he's writing like this and he wants to leave her type of thing then it probably probably was not good but i digress um (laughs) so next song is pen royalty by cobain on the album in utero in the beginning of the song he says i have really bad posture i did not know this but apparently he suffered from scoliosis so that's just like a very blatant lyric. <laughs> um, and the chorus follows, sit and drink pen royalty, distill the life that's inside of me. And you know, to distill something, that just means to make it pure. So maybe he wants his life to be better, or he wants to feel pure. Um, that could be interpreted in different ways. Um, but he keeps on saying, sit and drink pen royalty. I'm anemic royalty, which is just a fantastic rhyme. And just, he's just so good with lyrics. I just can't go on enough about that but apparently pen royalty reduces the effect of iron it has in the blood and it makes it harder for someone to absorb iron after drinking it so he this like whole tea metaphor um he's basically the tea (laughs) um and i've personally have never had this tea before i don't know if i've ever like really seen it in stores um you know it could this song could be about how cobain feels physically about like his health um, I read online that he had, like, stomach issues, so could just be a reflection on that. Uh, he also makes a reference to Leonard Cohen, um, and Kurt had said that whenever he felt depressed or felt sick, he would listen to his music, and that, that would cheer him up. If you don't know um, Leonard Cohen, he sings the song Hallelujah, which is in the Shrek movie, so, or the original song, because the one in the movie is a cover, but that's pretty much that guy. I don't, I'm not familiar with his music, I just know his name, so... That's that, but this entire song is pretty much just about how he feels physically. And I don't that's not really a subject that's touched on in music very often, I don't think. Um, it, I think it's a lot rarer, so this song really does stick out to me. Alright, so next song, this is the most controversial one they have. Uh, it's titled Rape Me, written by Cobain on the album In Utero. I'll be censoring myself just because this word can be triggering, and I also just don't want to say it repeatedly, so I'm just going to say like, assaulted if I do need to substitute that word. You know, again, it is the most controversial song, um, but pretty much this is Cobain's way of standing in solidarity to victims of um, this assault and raising awareness to it. And, you know, again, he's he was such a very forward-thinking person. And that's, I mean, again, I don't know how the 90s were 
it's better now, but you know, I didn't know what it was like back then. So for them to put out this song was very bold. And you know, the the chorus just repeats, I'm not the only one, meaning that, you know, there are there are a lot of victims out there and unfortunately it has just gotten worse. They did have a song called Polly, which is on um their album Nevermind, which was also anti assault. But this the public di- apparently the public didn't understand it at the time. He wanted to write a more explicit song to get the message across, so yeah, I do think it is an important song. I mean, if you are going to get, like, triggered by something like this, I would not recommend listening to it. Um, just because he does say the title of the song um, numerous times. And pretty much, you know, at the end of the song, he's just repeating that over and over again. And um, apparently this is kind of like the character of the victim taking back their power and saying, like, okay, you're, if you're going to do this, like, karma's just going to come and get you ten times worse and... Another lyric says, um, you're going to sink and burn, meaning, you know, the people who do do this will burn in hell for what they did, so. And I agree. Um, This is, you know, not probably the worst thing you could do to another human being is this. Um, It's definitely up there. So um, for them to really um, take a stance on this, it was, it's very bold and very punk, (laughs) honestly. Um, Apparently he and Courtney would go to charity events and sing at them and raise awareness for um, this issue. So definitely big respect there for for both of them. All right, so next song is Dumb, written by Cobain on the album In Utero. In the beginning he says, I'm not like them, but I can pretend. The sun is gone, but I have a light. The day is done, but I'm having fun. I think I'm dumb, or maybe just happy. And he just repeats that into the chorus. So to me, this kind of seems like you know, kind of like ignorance is bliss, you know, like the whole theory of like, if, you know, the whole theory of people um, who are ignorant or who are blind to other things like the news, like things going around them that are bad, are, are they happier? That's kind of like an existential question. Um, but apparently, um, this is a statement from Kurt Cobain himself about the song, quote, that's just about people who are easily amused, people who not only aren't capable of processing their intelligence, but are totally happy watching 10 hours of television and really enjoying it. I met a lot of dumb people. They have a bad job. They might be totally lonely. They don't have a girlfriend. They don't have much of a social social life. But yet, for some reason, they're happy. End quote. You know, I, I also read that the song could be about, um, there's some, you know, alcohol and drug references. And so, you know, I also do think maybe it's not just making fun of him, or maybe it could not just be making fun of other people, but it could be kind of a reflection on himself about these indulgences and the simplicity of life where, you know, if you are like drunk or on substance, you're going to feel good. And maybe he feels like, oh, I feel dumb for doing this. Or am I dumb for doing this? Or do I feel happy doing this? And do I continue to do this? So that's another question. And I think it could be open to interpretation. And every song that they have is literally open interpretation. All right. So these next two songs are both live acoustic. And they are from the MTV Unplugged in New York concert. And they have this on vinyl. I do want to get that one day because it's just so good. I listen to it on streaming services. But the first song is All Apologies, written by Cobain. It's on the album In Utero. Um, I also watched both of these performances on YouTube. And they're both just so good. And he's so captivating. And his voice is just so distinct. And it's, it's just great. So go ahead and check those out if you have not seen those yet but the song of all apologies he opens up with the beginning line what else should i be all apologies 
And to me, it seems like he's not apologizing for who he is. He's just kind of owning it. He's just kind of saying, like, what else do you want me to be? I'm so sorry. Like, this is who I am type of thing. And the chorus is some of my favorite lyrics. And it's just so... I I don't know why it just sticks with me. It's just so good. But he says, in the sun, in the sun, I feel as one. In the sun, in the sun. And that's pretty much just the entire chorus. And then towards the end of the song, um, he says, all in all is all we all are. And that apparently is, I didn't know this, but it's a Buddhist quote. Um, it pretty much just means all things and that are that exist are one. So it's pretty much just um, the whole human experience, the human collective. Um, we all experience the same things, just in different capacities. And I think this entire song is just about just life in general, like life and death and how, you know, you shouldn't apologize for who you are and you should just live your life. And, um, you know, in the sun, I feel as one. I think that sticks out to me just because if you think about it, like the sun, you know, like the whole like seasonal depression thing. I mean, we all kind of joke about that, but it is true where whenever like the sun is out, you feel a lot happier. You feel connected to to nature so that's probably what he means by i feel as one kind of like i feel i am nature nature is me that type of thing and yeah i think that's pretty much just what he um is saying and outro is very repetitive of course very nirvana nature but i don't know this but kurt and dave are both singing on it which i think is pretty cute all right so next song is actually a cover and it is the man who sold the world and it is originally by david bowie and i listened to this version and bowie's version I think I like Nirvana's version better. Don't tell anybody I said that. But um, (laughs) pretty much this song is about um, a man who felt like he had to sell his soul. Some lyrics include, I spoke into his eyes. I thought you died a long, long time ago. No, not me. You're face to face with the man who sold the world. So that's kind of like two characters talking to each other. Or maybe it could be him talking to himself whoever the character is, because, you know, David Bowie's writing is just so magical, and and I think my parents actually have some of his vinyl, so maybe I'll review that one day, but anyway, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, for whatever reason, he had to sell his soul, and maybe, maybe Kurt felt like that, too, because, um, you know, if you are, like, an underground artist, and you blow up, and you're in the mainstream, and you hate the mainstream, you're kind of like, oh, I just, like, sold my soul to the man, I, I never wanted to come to this, and I think after Kurt died, I think maybe, People thought, like, he couldn't handle the fame, whatnot. You know, towards the end of his life, he probably thought it got too much, and he probably resonated with the song. That's maybe, maybe that's why he covered it. I don't know. I'm just speculating. What's interesting is that in the second verse, the original lyrics are, I gazed a gazely stare. And Kurt changed them to, I gazed a gazeless stare. And, you know, that is really haunting. It's, again, him opening up about his depression. He probably felt numb and you know, gazy and gazeless are polar opposites of each other, you know, like a gazy, like that has life in it, and gazeless has, does not have any life in it, so it is very eerie in hindsight, um, I do think that is like a beautiful choice in um, words, and I think, I think it's cool when artists cover a song and they kind of change the wording here and there, I mean, whenever they change the pronouns, I'm kind of like, okay, come on, but if it's for a reason like this that's subtle and you don't, maybe people didn't even realize it at first, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, both of these acoustic performances are just great, and they're on YouTube if you want to go check them out, but that pretty much is the entire album, so thank you for listening up until this point. Um, This was really fun. I love Nirvana. Um, If you you couldn't tell, they're probably one of my favorite bands. They're definitely, like, top 10. Sometimes I kind of wish I had, like, 
Nevermind or In Utero, like not like a compilation album, because you know I I do I don't mind compilation albums. It is like a highlight of their career and um, for whatever whoever artist they are, it is like the highlights of their career. But to me, I kind of feel like you know I I am more of an albums based person as I have gotten older, and I do think like albums tell a story, and there might be some songs that are important to that story that are just left um, out of compilation albums. So. That's kind of, like, a reason why I'm not, like, a big fan. I don't really have that many. Maybe, like, two-ish. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> you know, because Nirvana, in general, doesn't have a huge discography, I think it's okay. Like, I'll I'll let it slide for this one. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it, if you want to follow me on Off the Record with E.T., that is on Instagram. Uh, you can also email me at offtherecordwitheet at gmail.com. Uh, right now, we are going to spin the wheel to find out what we're going to be talking about next week. So this is actually so fun to do. So I'm just going to go ahead, spin the wheel, and let's see what we get. Oh my god. Okay, we have Reload by Metallica. Hell yeah. Okay, I'm excited now. That's going to be like a two-hour episode, but that's fine. <laughs> Um, so yeah, next week, go ahead and, um, tune into that, and I'm really excited to talk about that album. Again, thank you again so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Remember to listen to your favorite song, and take care. Bye, guys.